As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey, welcome to our multiverse. We're excited you're joining us for our new parody comedy series, Superhero Diaries. Hello, this is Batman. Well, sort of. I mean, I'm not one of those actors who gets to play all your favorite superheroes in movies and TV. I guess you would say I'm a parody version of The Dark Knight. Anywho, me and some of my super friends have decided to tell you what we're really thinking when we are doing all those crime-fighting, earth-saving, multiverse-hopping kind of stuff. We will reveal what's behind the mask. Our most private thoughts. Like, who's our secret superhero crush? Gotta go. Girl talk. We have to deal with real-life issues just like you. I mean, how does Spider-Man pee when he's wearing his Spidey onesie? It rides up in the crotch a little bit, too. Does Aquaman talk to fish before he eats them? What is the Hulk's critical review of Wonder Woman 84? And most confounding of all, Someday she just can't get rid of a bomb. How does a guy like me, with no superpowers, get through the week without getting killed every other day? All will be revealed when Superhero Diaries takes off on February 9th. Subscribe now, true believers! Cruising down Route 66, a yellow Camaro with black racing stripes continues along its merry way. Taking some time away from the big city is good for the soul, the car thought as it transformed back into the robot Bumblebee and sat alongside a mountain to watch the sun go down. The calm would only last a moment, though. As screams began piercing the night, Bumblebee looked over to see a roadside gas station overwhelmed by vines. Racing over to protect whoever he could, the Transformer is stopped in his tracks by a woman with red hair and green skin. 
What the heck even are you, Poison Ivy Mutters? You know what? I don't care. You're not even the biggest I've ever fought. And with those words, a slew of vines break through the ground around her, and this encounter begins. It's the Autobot versus the May Queen. It's the VW Bug versus the Gotham City Siren. It's Bumblebee versus Poison Ivy today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comic books, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gavsey, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ray Stacanus. Ray, congratulations are in order. Do you know why? Because I am the champion of season two, and despite what happened last week, you can't take away a championship, James. Many have tried. Speaking of which, I need to assure the fans of Who Would Win that no puppies were harmed whatsoever in the uh, filming and recording of the Who Would Win episode. That is our story, uh, last week. at least. To find out more, check out that episode of Who Would Win. The reason why congratulations are in order, by the way, last week's episode was our 100th episode 100. in total. Crazy. But next week's episode is actually our 100th battle. So we're at that 100 kind of peak here. What are your impressions of the Who Would Win show so far? My impressions of the Who Would Win show are, it's a great show. I'm on it. That's right, Ray. It is a fantastic show. We put a lot of research into this. Too much. We go the extra mile. Seriously, ask our wives. Sometimes we'll we'll ignore some important responsibilities, chores, you know, tax, whatever it is. But we will pour our heart and soul into researching these battles and coming up with the craziest battles we can with the Who Would Win production team leading the way. By the way, for this week's battle, I did the patented Who Would Win Google test to see if people have actually talked about this battle before. Now, you got to keep in mind, these types of Who Would Win battles are discussed by many many, many people online. What I found was that although there's a Bumblebee character in DC Comics, it's a young woman who's got, you know, able to shrink down, has really cool powers. She's gone up against Poison Ivy. I did not find one instance of Poison Ivy versus the Transformer known as Bumblebee. So yet again, I think this may be the first time this matchup has ever been discussed. With that being said, why do you think this matchup rate makes so much sense? It makes so much sense. Look, First off, you've got a robot versus a plant-based character. You know on the Who Would Win show, our biggest deal is we love a contrast of styles. Contrast styles, what's up? So we have a large character who's a giant transforming car robot, and you've got a smaller female character who is human-ish, and she has, you know, like I say, control over plants. That is two wildly different characters. The power sets seem on paper to be about the same. Let's see what happens. You know, it's funny, when, when people talk about these matchups, we've seen this before, Ray. Poison Ivy, oh, let's have her go up against Swamp Thing. Well, it's actually already been kind of done, you know, in DC Comics because oh, they're both in the same times. universe, right? Or have her go up against another plant-based or eco-warrior, whatever. That's cool, but we need something that's really, really different, yet at the same time makes a lot of sense, which, by the way, is the best way to kind of segue to our judge. So speaking of things that are very, very different but make a whole lot of sense – let me introduce, making their second appearance on the Who Would Win show, it's the voice of Marco Diaz in Disney XD's Star vs. the Forces of Evil. It's Ronnie from Episode 2 of Rideshare the Series, now available on Digital Sky's YouTube channel for binge-watching, martial arts extraordinaire, and it's the voice of Yuji Itadori in the English dub of the latest anime hit series, Jujutsu Kaisen. It's Adam MacArthur. Adam, thank you for coming back to Who Would Win. I, I, I'm so glad to be here, but I need to I need to just go back a second. You said things that make that 
that what was it that you said? I said things that are very different, but very yet still different, make sense. But still make sense. Thank you for that. That's my new. Uh, that's gonna do, be my. Do you new want to know why bio. I said that? By the way. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So uh, the first sure? time you came on the show, yeah. I, no, no, no. This is cool. The first time you came on the show, I did some research as I always do on the judges and and checked out a lot of your episodes of Star versus Forces of Evil, and I watched this season, the the ending of the series. Okay. And I'm like, okay, it's a kids show. Typically, I'm not watching a lot of Disney XD unless it's like you know a, a Marvel series or what have you and i'm watching the season ending of or season series ending of that and it, it ca- i'm like oh my god this is so good the way they came to and i'm like how is this so different yet makes complete sense it's because of your role of marco diaz that's why i said that about you i love that that's incredibly kind thank you <laughs> <laughs> so you know you, you've been insanely busy doing a lot of great stuff and you know you're, you're doing this little show that maybe people have heard of that's maybe getting a little bit of attention online of course by little i mean massive attention that everyone is talking about that Crunchyroll, in my opinion is is as blessed us with in terms of viewing jujitsu kaizen where you play the english dub version yuji itadori tell us about this character character. Tell us about the series. It's absolutely incredible from what I've read about it. This audition sort of came to me just like any of the other ones. Um, I had already had an awareness of the show because of how popular it was. So I'd actually already started watching the sub version of the show. And uh, yeah, Yuji is like, he's just this really good, naturally uh, athletic good boy who has been sort of raised by his grandfather and he was as his grandpa passed away was left with this like his grandpa's last wish was for him to be around people be good to people always help people that sort of is his driving force through this show and he ends up eating a curse and becoming cursed and getting all these powers and yeah becoming the uh, main character of uh, the new hit shonen anime coming out of Japan so it's been uh, yeah it's been it's been overwhelmingly cool to be a part of it. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, we discussed this at the beginning of the show. You know, you're saying he consumed a curse. Are there maybe a few more details about what this curse exactly is? Well, yeah, this curse... Uh, well, so he can he eats a finger, basically. He eats a, there we go. He eats a guy's finger. I mean, who hasn't? <laughs> yeah, he just... Uh, yeah, he, he eats a guy's finger. This guy, uh, his name's Sukuna. He's this devil curse guy who has four arms and what is that? 20 fingers. <laughs> Sorry, it's been a long day. <laughs> 20 <laughs> fingers. So, yeah, basically, Yuji is this vessel, and he gets sort of volunteered to consume all the fingers of Sukuna so that then once he does that, he can be killed, and Sukuna will die along with him. So it's this whole, yeah, crazy adventure. Yeah, I grew up I mean, on a lot of 90s animes, and this this hits every mark. This hits every point I would expect, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're they're saying it's uh it's pretty similar to it's got a, a bleach vibe. So if you've yeah. watched Bleach, it's got a Very bleach cool. vibe. Yeah. Ray, what happened last time you ate a finger? Oh, James, we agreed in the affidavit we would not discuss that on the air. Right. It did not go well for either of us, but I'm glad to see it, it kind of goes well for another character. What, why why didn't why did him eating a finger not go well for either of you? That's what I want. Again, it was we a weird agreed, weird yeah, ritual we under court orders that we would not James, You're right. we would not discuss it on air, Adam. Um, we can, we can, we can tell you after the show's over, but you, it might cost a finger. Okay. All right. Perfect. Good to, good to know. Uh, yeah. Good to know some, some ground rules before we get started here. <laughs> sure. Life lesson: If you find a finger on the street, it's not food. All right. Yeah. Finger. Yeah. Not who food. knew? 
Who knew? It's not bigger. Lessons it's were bigger <laughs> lessons were learned. All right. So with all that said, it's about that time. I'm ready for a crazy matchup. We have an amazing judge. We got amazing contestants. Ray is ready to go. I'm ready to go. It's about that time. Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing the Transformers, the giant robot who's always the center of all the buzz, Bumblebee. And representing DC Comics, the botany who might be a lady, but that doesn't stop her from being a fun guy, Poison Ivy. Well done, Ray. Now, before Amazing. we go any further, it's pretty good. <laughs> Let's go over the official words. rules. <laughs> Let's go over the official rules of a Who Would Win match. So rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the Who Would Win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the, char- the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality, and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Okay, Ray, there's a whole bunch of different versions of Poison Ivy. Which one are you going with today? I'm going with the DC Comics version of Poison Ivy. There's just too much good stuff in there. I thought about the Uma Thurman version. I thought about the animated version on the new Harley Quinn show. But as far as bang for your buck goes, you gotta go with the DC Comics version. Okay, that makes sense. For Bumblebee, there's the same thing. There's a ton of great versions of Bumblebee. Listen, I love Bumblebee from the, the original series from 1980s where you know our Lord and Savior Megatron is from. I also love Bumblebee from... The new Transformer series, Frank Todoro, former guest on Who Would Win, who's voicing Starscream. That Bumblebee on that series is great as well. He actually exists in Marvel 616 storyline somewhere. But the the version I'm going to use, actually, believe it or not, is from the Michael Bay Transformers live action movie franchise. There's just something ultra badass about that version of Bumblebee. I thought that was the best character to match up against Poison Ivy. Interesting. So. Yeah, all right, so rule number four, debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long-established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed, but will be given less weight. Rule number five, the winner of the debate is is whomever the judge decides has the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal. And finally, rule number six, the judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or established logic. Now, feel free to check out the official rules on our website at whowouldwinshow.com. And before we get started, don't forget to visit the official Who Would Win store. Get your official Who Would Win t-shirts, mugs, and merchandise by going to whowouldwinshow.com and clicking on the merch section. Remember to keep an eye out for new shirts all the time. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And now, let's get to the tail of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details on Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy is a botanist turned supervillain with a host of plant-related abilities. She was created by Robert Koeniger and Sheldon Moldoff and first appeared in Batman number 181 back in 1966. Pamela Isley, as she was originally known, is predominantly one of Batman's enemies, and her story has changed a few times since her inception. Originally gaining her powers from a lab-based accident, she is now known for having a connection to the green similar to Swamp Thing. Either way, she is immune to all toxins, controls plants, and uses her knowledge of science combined with her powers to create powerful poisons and mind-control substances. Fun fact, Poison Ivy's origin was inspired by the short story Rappuccini's Daughter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. In that story, a mostly shut-in girl tends to a garden of poisonous plants where she communicates with them and eventually becomes immune to poison while becoming poisonous to other people. Oh yeah, and her look was also originally modeled after pin-up model Betty Page. So there you go. That's right. Poison Ivy. All right, very cool. Here are the details for Bumblebee. Now, Bumblebee first appeared in the 1980s Generation 1 iconic animated series Transformers Robots in Disguise. It was created by Jim Shooter, Dennis O'Neill, and Bob Budansky. Now, Bumblebee is a small but heroic Autobot robot warrior from the planet Cybertron who transforms into either a yellow Camaro with black racing stripes or a yellow Volkswagen Beetle, depending on the version you're looking at. Throughout his years of service to Optimus Prime and the Autobots, Bumblebee has significantly developed his military and combat expertise and also developed himself into one of the most loyal followers of Optimus Prime. Whether it's to serve as a scout or to find the AllSpark or to take command, Bumblebee can and has literally done it all. And here's an interesting fact about Bumblebee. Did you know that Bumblebee from the live-action Transformers movies franchise is based off a real actor? It's true. Turns out Michael Bay likes to base his Transformers on some iconic actors and it was revealed that Bumblebee's character movements are actually based on... You guessed it. It's so obvious. Michael J. Fox. Oh, obviously. Obviously. But not just regular Michael J. Fox. We're specifically talking about Marty McFly in the Back to the Future movies, Michael J. Fox. I know. I I was like, I I guess I can kind of see it. Sure. When... (laughs) <laughs> Marty McFly transformed into a car. Uh, by the way, we also learned that the live action version of Optimus Prime was based on none other than Liam Neeson. Surprise, surprise. Gotcha. And now you have the facts on both opponents. Adam, do you have any questions before we get started? No, you guys have you guys have made it made it very clear. These are, these are great intros. 
All right, very cool. Ray, it's time for another great battle. Go ahead and hit us with your point number one. Point number one for Poison Ivy. Let's just talk about the elephant in the room, if you will. Let's talk about the vines and the plants that she can control because this is how she does most of her combat, most of her attacking, most of her defending. So she can create vines, she carries vines with her, and she can cause them to grow exponentially at a very accelerated rate very, very quickly, and she can make them move around and control them at the molecular level and essentially make them do whatever the heck it is that she wants. Now, she's used the strength of these vines in order to smash her way through giant boulders. She's used it to smash through the asphalt and smash through the ground, you know, paved areas. She's also grabbed helicopters and thrown them around as well as thrown around cars one after another at Batman at one point. It was an incredible fight scene where she just kept throwing cars at Batman using vines trying to knock out the Cape Crusader. She's also used her vines to rip apart buildings. Like we're talking nice sized five, six story buildings that she's lifted out of the ground in the air and then torn asunder. And I guess what I'm trying to say is if she's able to pick up cars and throw them, why is she not going to be able to pick up Bumblebee and do the same thing? And if she can pick up a building and tear it in half, why in the heck can she not just pick up Bumblebee and tear Bumblebee in half when we've seen in the Transformers movie? Now, it wasn't to Bumblebee. It was to Jazz, an arguably more powerful Transformer. But our Lord and Savior Megatron ripped Jazz in half, literally torso from bottom half ripped him in half. Now, if he can do that with Megatron strength, I have to believe building size rip apart strength can also pull Bumblebee into two pieces and end him the way Megatron ended Jazz. But not just that. She's been able to use these vines to crush stone golems, like living creatures, not living, but magically living creatures that are made out of stone. It doesn't matter if it's a mobile stone or an immobile stone. She's able to tear it apart and do it. She's also used her vines to hold Superboy in place for a little while. Now, Superboy, of course, has Superman-level strength, Superman-level powers. He is Superboy. One could argue he's maybe just a notch below uh, the Man of Steel. So again, if if Poison Ivy can hold Superboy in his tracks, Bumblebee isn't on that level. Bumblebee's not even close to that level. So she could absolutely use her vines, entangle Bumblebee, tear him apart before Bumblebee even knows what the heck is going on. And the final thing here is she can also create the plants. Uh, By that, I mean she can create kind of new and weird hybrids since she controls them at the molecular level, which means that if she knows she's fighting a robotic foe, what she could potentially do, and she's done similar feats in the comics, is create a plant that spits the type of venom or acid that would melt metal, that would melt an Autobot in their tracks. So when you're fighting Poison Ivy, you also might have to look out for the plants that she's controlling at the same time, which have now been modified specifically for the battle at hand. All of this put together means that Bumblebee is in a very, very rough shape for today. And that's my point number one. So that's actually really cool. Yeah, Poison Ivy is actually, you you can't sleep on a Poison Ivy. You you can't because she's extremely, extremely powerful. Also, Genius IQ can do some great things. Luckily, I know all this because when it comes to DC and Marvel, I'm actually more of a DC person. And I'm not only quite familiar with the character, I'm actually familiar with the actual comic book issues that you're referencing here, Ray. So a Mm -hmm. couple of questions. When she used the plants to grab onto Superboy, and that was the clone Superboy, if I'm not mistaken, the one with the black T-shirt with the red S, was that? when he was at full power or was that when he was depowered you know i would actually say he was more powerful than ever before because when a man is down that's when he's most dangerous (laughs) 
<laughs> That's right, Ray. He had no powers okay. at the time in that issue. So it was a it was a cool feat, but he was he was depowered. He had regular strength of a human. So the cars that they pick up, that the vines pick up, are they sentient, living, breathing transformers, or are they just regular cars? Sometimes a car is more than meets the eye, James. That's a very fair statement, Ray. And finally, that the, when the buildings, when she used the vines to move the buildings, and that actually was super impressive, what happened immediately after? She was trying to find Batman, right? If, that, if we're thinking of the same issue. Mm-hmm. What happened the moment she crushed the two buildings together, controlled the vines to crush the buildings together? What happened immediately after that? Oh, James, she just went home and had a stack of pancakes. That's right, Ray. Her hands got immediately like bound from a distance. Like a Batman, I guess, threw like a batarang and kind of ensnared her and trapped her regardless of what just happened. Oh, um, interesting. Does, Bumble- that- Does Bumblebee throw batarangs? Am I missing something here? Yeah, unfortunately, he throws stuff a lot more powerful than Batarangs. But the reason why I bring that up, it's not to take anything away from Poison Ivy. It's just that when it comes to combat proficiency, she's very powerful, very direct. But when it comes to like fighting ability and fighting IQ, I don't think she can keep up with Bumblebee. But let me explain what I mean by that. So in my point number one, by the way, I call this firepower and offensive capability. So one thing I loved about the Transformers live action films was how they demonstrated the badassery overall of Bumblebee. And when it came to fighting, Bumblebee demonstrated something that kind of came across in terms of fighting ability. He looked like a combination of John Wick, Deathstroke, and and you may be familiar with this character, uh, Ray, Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe. And the thing is that he had, uh, Bumblebee had three things that were really prevalent, you know, really going for him. And they created this like ultimate warrior type of synergy. And again, I'm invoking the spirit of the ultimate warrior in this one. The first was his firepower. So Bumblebee is armed, let me just kind of go over this, with two arrays of shoulder-mounted missiles, and each shoulder holds 10 missiles, with each missile having the ability to deliver major damage to a Decepticon's body, right? And that's kind of important to realize. So additionally, Bumblebee's right hand and wrist transform into a powerful blaster, and this blaster has the ability to kill Decepticons or to blow their heads completely off, as seen in Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, where Bumblebee puts the barrel of his cannon directly under the chin of Soundwave, the Decepticon, whom he was fighting, and blows his head completely apart when he fires it. Sorry, kids at home. And by the way, he's got mastery over these missiles where he can control them to a great degree. The second thing I saw was his fighting ability. And he demonstrated this through just fighting with like kind of like a Spider-Man type of agility. He had great speed, was able to do front flips, back flips, transforming to a car in midair, launching himself back in the air, transforming back in robot as he's fighting super, super agile and, and super capable as a fighter. And this is what enabled him to take on that bigger Decepticons. Remember, Bumblebee as a Transformer is on the smaller side. He's about 17 feet tall, weighs, I guess, between two to 3,000 pounds. But in terms of a Transformer, he was taking out huge King Kong-sized Decepticons, not with ease, but with a lot of proficiency. And the third thing that was really surprising about Bumblebee, it was his viciousness. So what goes through your mind? Let's say you're in a fight, a horrible battle. What goes through your mind when your legs get blown off? Right? Yeah, I mean, most people would be like, okay, I think I'm done. Time for me to retreat, whatever. If you're Bumblebee, evidently, you just get angrier and fight even harder. In a fight with a Decepticon named Brawl, Bumblebee gets his legs blown off, gets ticked off, really angry, transforms into as much of a car as he can, and proceeds to shoot, blast, and then smash into Brawl until he completely destroys Brawl completely. There's that other dog, Ravage, who's like a cassette from Soundwave in the original series. So Ravage, the equivalent of that in Transformers, comes after him. Bumblebee grabs him. I hate to say this, kids. Rips out his spine and then pops his head off. 
That's Bumblebee. That's slightly vicious. And another one, Bumblebee takes on four Decepticons. I think it's Transformers Dark of the Moon. He destroyed them all with glee, with aerial combat, flips, shooting one person, causing another person to shoot someone else. And during a fight with this, oh, this is horrible. I'm going to have to say it. During a fight with a Transformer called Rampage, who's a very large and powerful Decepticon with tentacles, by the way, not too dissimilar with the vines of Poison Ivy, Bumblebee has had enough of the fight, gets Rampage, gets on his back, rips off a chunk of his face, not all of it, a chunk of his face, starts smashing him at the back of the head, and when Rampage hits the ground, Bumblebee grabs both of his arms and starts pushing down on his back while he's pulling arms, rips off his arms, and says, I don't think I'm quite done, and starts to curb stomp Rampage into a complete destroyed mess of a robot. So when you combine firepower, fighting ability, and viciousness into one fighter, who may most likely be way more powerful than his size really kind of shows. Again, he's small for his size for a Transformer. You get someone who fights above their weight class, but who will also enjoy the brutality, viciousness, and challenge of the fight. That's who you're facing in Bumblebee. Now, that's exciting right there, James. That is so, these You make these movies sound so much better than they actually I are. I know. I'm, I'm cherry-picking <laughs> moments. Trust me. <laughs> you have to. And, and to be fair, this is the one of the few times I didn't do a lot of counter-research because I promised myself I would never watch another Transformers Michael Bay movie ever again. Fair enough. If you've seen my episode of Gutting the Sacred Cow, I, I, I eviscerate the first Transformers movie, the only one that I will I allowed myself to watch never again. So uh, you say that Bumblebee weighs between two and 3,000 pounds. The average car weighs 2,871 pounds, which means that he weighs about the same as an average car. So my earlier feat of the vines picking up cars and throwing them is especially apt here because it's not like Bumblebee's bringing so much more heft to the table than a standard car would be. You also brought up the hand-to-hand ability of Poison Ivy, and this is true. She is not, you know, she's learned martial arts from Harley Quinn, who's a very, very good fighter, and I believe, was it Catwoman as well? The two of them have trained her in the ways of martial arts, so she's no slouch. But let's face it, this is a 17-foot-tall robot versus a, what, a 5-foot-10 lady? This is not going to resort to triangle chokes and arm bars. That is not where this battle's going at all. So if Poison Ivy is not as good in hand-to-hand fighting as Bumblebee, that's okay because that's not how she's going to fight him. Also, you brought up Bumblebee tearing apart, tearing what, blowing the head off a sound wave? Uh, Tearing apart these other Transformer uh, robots? How many human beings has he fought and killed in the Transformers Michael Bay movies? Great question. When it comes to humans, I don't think we see him really no, take out we too don't, many. Because he's a believer in humanity. He does these terribly destructive things to other robots because that's okay. He doesn't do that to people. Now, I understand they're going to be fighting because it's a who would win show and that's how it's going to go. It's not that he's not going to fight Poison Ivy. That would be a stupid argument to make. What I would say is he's not going to come with the same level of ferocity that he would when the safeties are off and he's fighting a fellow robot. You may have a point there. The only thing is he doesn't – you're saying something kind of interesting. He doesn't know what he's fighting. He really doesn't. As far as he knows, it's the Quintessons or Decepticons with something new taking over the planet Earth in some way he's not familiar with. That's not going to slow him down. That's not going to cause him to stop. And I don't think that's really going to make his viciousness. It's a guy who ripped off someone's arms, Ray, and then decided that wasn't enough after ripping off his face. Let me stomp him some more. Not There's some a guy, level James. Of patience. A robot. An unfeeling machine. It's different. A, a transformer is an unfeeling machine. There How is a difference you, between How throwing a blender you, in the trash and throwing a person in the trash, James. Oh, my God. Adam MacArthur, <laughs> this is ridiculous. All right, Adam, you've heard point number one from both of us. Where's your head at right now in this spot? In this I've done both, by the way. <laughs> I mean, uh, look, I would I, I will tell you. I'll tell you what. I am 
relying solely on the information you guys are giving me. There is no pre, pre-study of either of these characters coming in here. You both have made very valid points that I didn't think would be able to be rebuttaled from the other person. However, they've been rebuttaled very nicely. I think appealing to the fact that Bumblebee has a heart for humanity is actually very, very interesting. I mean, he is a softie. He is a softie when it comes to humans. Is that going to mess him up? I'm, I'm not totally sure. I do have a question about Poison Ivy. Can I ask a point Please, of clarification? Absolutely. So she doesn't have any, like, super strength on her own, right? It's all... She does. She uh, From the enhancements to her body, from the, the plant stuff that's going on, she does have an enhanced durability. She has an enhanced speed. She has an enhanced strength. She does have those things. Now, she's not on a, like... Superman level, but compared to a regular person, she definitely is bigger, stronger, faster. Okay, and then one other question about Poison Ivy. Does there have to be plants already around, or can she have? Can she control them and create them from nothing? It's a great question. She can absolutely control them if they're around, but she walks around with plants with her at all times that she can ah. then throw out and manipulate okay. and make Perfect. do whatever she needs to do. So this is sort of like her starting weapon, if you will. Got it. Okay. Great. Yeah, that's a great question. And my, my assumption for this battle was that she either has them like something on her where she can do it or she can control plants at a molecular level wherever she is. Like she's always armed with plants in yeah. this battle. Cool. 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 All right, Ray. We're both kind of coming out with guns blazing here. Go ahead and hit us with your point number two. Point number two for Poison Ivy. I really wanted to take a moment to talk about the durability of this character because Bumblebee in the comic books, and I know that, you know, crossovers and different versions, now they are allowed, but they are given less weight. And Bumblebee in the comic books, as well as the cartoon, has been obliterated before, has been killed before. In the G.I. Joe versus Transformers comic book series from the 80s, the really good classic one, Bumblebee got destroyed, murdered in that series by human beings. And I think that's just an important distinction to make. I know it's not the same Bumblebee as in the Michael Bay Transformers, but it is Bumblebee. It is a version of Bumblebee, and he is known for being the one who takes a loss whenever the story needs one of the heroic Autobots to go down, because except for the movie, you're never going to really do that to Optimus Prime if you can help it. So, talking about durability right here. Now, she can take inhuman amounts of damage. You know, she's been called immune to almost anything, which means that you can hit her with a whole lot of stuff, and, and yes, she's been beaten by Batman before. She'd have to be. She's a Batman villain. That's how it works. That said, she's also gotten over on Batman a fair number of times as well. You can bring her back from medical death just by water. One of the most interesting things I learned from researching Poison Ivy is that she can be declared medically dead, and as long as there is water nearby or touching her, she can use that to regenerate and revive her cells and bring herself back. Where at the same time, if Bumblebee gets an arm ripped off, his arm is going to stay ripped off. You know, we Jazz wasn't able to put himself back together again when Megatron tore him into two pieces. When Poison Ivy, if she can be medically killed by Bumblebee somehow, she can come back and keep fighting. All she's got to do is do it within two minutes, which I believe she would be able to do at least enough to return to the battle. Not just that. She fought a character named Clayface, who is a larger-than-life, very, very strong, very, very powerful character, and she was able to tank shots from Clayface without going down huge now he's not quite as big as bumblebee but this guy is a massive tank in his own right and can grow to being almost the size of bumblebee uh, if my Clayface memory serves me correctly not just that she's been involved in multiple explosions she's been involved in buildings that have blown up she's been involved in areas that have blown up 
And she's been able to get out of that situation still breathing, still alive, still taking in that sweet, sweet CO2. The other good thing about her defensive abilities, and this is something that I thought was cool, especially given that Bumblebee is bringing blasters and missiles especially to the table, is she can use her vines as an impromptu shield around her. She can actually knock bullets out of the air, which she's done with the vines. She can slap them into the missiles, blowing them up far, far away from her with the vines, or even grab onto them and pull them out of the air. That is something that she's able to do with these vines as far as these ranged attacks go. So I don't feel that these missiles and what have you that Bumblebee will be shooting from a distance are going to hit home. And even if something does hit home, she can regenerate and bring herself back from it. Because not only has she used the vines uh, to stop those things, she was being shot at with a big high caliber machine gun and she was able to throw up the vine shield and she was able to throw up more vines and more vines and more vines to the point the bullets couldn't penetrate it without her being able to replace the vines very, very quickly. And that's a high caliber machine gun. That is a high rate of fire. The last thing I'll mention here is the fact there was a building that was about to come down, much like the building she lifted in the air. That's one thing. But she was also able to use the vines to stop a building that was going to fall down on top of her. I just know one thing. If something is falling, it's harder to catch than just picking it up off the ground. If someone is just going to pick up a 125-pound barbell, that's one thing. If someone throws a 125-pound barbell at you, that's much harder to catch and lift back up in the air. She was able to do that with one of those same buildings. So let's face it, she can tank, she's got the defense. I don't think Bumblebee can get home on this, and that's my point number two. So you were talking about the, how much was that, 125-pound barbell kind of analogy? Well, I was actually trying to uh, up from what I usually uh, lift at the gym. Gotcha. Yeah, no, uh, Adam, you remember last time you and I worked out, tossing across the room like a football, like a 125-pound barbell was like nothing. I don't really feel that carries a lot of weight. (laughs) Well, you two are superhuman. That doesn't count. (laughs) That's fair. I do agree with you that the vines are very versatile and can protect her like a shield. I would argue that the armaments that have, that she her vines have protected her against have not been of the same caliber or technological advanced stance or whatever you want to call it that Bumblebee's weapons and blasters or whatever would would kind of have. So that's kind of questionable to me. And it's funny how you said you know Bumblebee from the animated series has taken damage and has been beat. And I think you were also saying the car, the comic book series where he gets absolutely destroyed and then remade into Goldbug if I'm not mistaken. Sure. Um, right. So here's the thing. That's why I think Michael Bay did what he did with Bumblebee in the Transformers live action films to really distance Bumblebee from that character who you thought was like, okay, there, he, he's a he's a step up from human, but he's definitely five steps down from being like really effective fighting as a, as a Transformer, as an Autobot warrior. So let me kind of kind of juxtapose all that with my point number two, and I call this durability and recovery. So in the Transformers film franchise, I, I actually find it really interesting how almost every Autobot and Decepticon have the ability to really mess each other up really, really badly. And I agree with some fans that there's some inconsistency in terms of damage given and received, but there's one thing that's for sure. Bumblebee is durable as hell. The live-action Transformers films, they, they kind of reveal how much punishment Bumblebee can take, but also how fast he can recover quickly from it, as well as how how well he can fight 
while he's damaged and while being, you know, in the recovery process. So through the films, he's been hit, blasted, thrown, broken apart, smashed dozens of times, dozens of times. So what does he do? Uh, He either tanks a shot, keeps moving or demonstrates the ability to endure the beatings and punishment and continue to fight on. He's kind of got like this Rocky thing going on in the Transformers live action movies. In the films, probably in vehicle mode, he's driven full speed into a very huge concrete barrier, drove right through it unharmed. He does the same thing to large, you know, buildings, large obstructions, whatever. He loves smashing into stuff and driving right through it. He's unharmed by being slammed by giant Decepticons. One was named Barricade, and Barricade had this huge, like, metallic flail. And after he's been kicked to the face and thrown off his feet towards, like, gasoline tanks that explode, Bumblebee still gets up and he's ready to go. He's actually okay. He survived being tortured and severely electrocuted by, I think it was called Sector 7, which was that secret American government agency that deals with, like, extraterrestrials and all that kind of stuff. Bumblebee survives being hit by a super powerful missile from Starscream. His legs get blown off. I mentioned that before, but he goes into partial vehicle mode and continues to fight from there. Now, you'd say, okay, well, cool. What happens then? The reality is he starts to heal. I'll talk about that more in a second. In a fight with a giant Decepticon named Rampage, I mentioned that before, he gets smashed in the ground super hard, takes a horrible beating from a few Decepticons, he gets up, and that's when he you know, proceeds to beat up Rampage, pull his arms off. In the comic book series that follows the same continuity, I think this is called Transformers Twilight's Last Gleaming Part 3, Bumblebee is absolutely unharmed after getting smashed, beaten, and horrifically just thrown around by Megatron, who's considered one of the most powerful Transformers in the film franchise. And if that was enough, in the same series, he finds himself kind of in the in ground zero of Megatron's like cannon blast or whatever it's going to be, which is, you know, establishes like a nuclear, if it goes off full blast, it's a nuclear level type of bomb. Bumblebee takes that, tanks that, and he's fine. But there's more. Here's the thing. He's actually got something kind of the equivalent to a healing factor. So in one of the last films, he's actually fighting kind of like an evil version of Optimus Prime. And as they're fighting, he's taking damage from Optimus Prime. Chunks of him are getting taken off. Parts of his head's flying off the whole thing. And as he's fighting, we see these little parts kind of crawling back towards him. And then when they get to him, they snap back on and self-repair. So that's really weird. So he could get damaged. If an arm comes off, he's going to crawl right back to him and reattach itself. And that's not going to stop him from fighting at all. So you got to ask yourself, how would Poison Ivy do in these same situations? Point blank range of Megatron's cannon, arms blown off. Maybe she'd be okay. But all of that kind of put together, you can tell she wouldn't be able to have anywhere near the survivability or durability that Bumblebee has. And that's my point number two. Very interesting stuff, James. I can foresee a thing where I didn't realize that Bumblebee, they're trying to turn him into the T-1000. That's a little (laughs) weird. That's a little strange. Now, one of the cool things about having so many vines for Poison Ivy, as well as the ability to talk to plants and hear across the battlefield from all the plant life where people are, what's happening, if she blows a chunk of Bumblebee or rips it off and it starts crawling back towards him, thankfully she's going to be able to hear from the plants, hey, that arm is crawling back Evil Dead 2 style. And it's going to attach itself back. So when you see, here's about the arm. She can just pick up the arm and throw it away. Pick up the arm and throw it off the battlefield. And it's going to have the long crawl back. And you know what happens? If it comes back, she can throw it away again. Because she can be in multiple places at the same time. Bumblebee is stuck to just the one place. That's really all I have to say about that. I would argue that if Megatron's blast is supposed to be nuclear level and destroy everything. And Bumblebee tanked it. Maybe they were wrong about Megatron's blast. Are you saying the Transformers live action movie franchise somehow was inaccurate in portraying Transformers, Ray? <laughs> I have made a podcast about this, James. You can go check out Gutting the Sacred Cow. 
That was a great episode, by the way. All right. <laughs> so okay. you're at the turning point now. This is where, Adam, you've got to tell us, you know, who you think is ahead and what the other side has to do to pull out a victory. Okay. Uh, first, I, I do have I'd have two questions, one for each of you. James, does Bumblebee have like a, oh, if you kill this one part of him, he's dead or like if you rip his head off, you know, the body falls. Is there any part of him like that or rip out his heart or any, any is does he have a weakness like that? So I'll, it's, it's actually, that's a great question. He does. The reality is, as the way they're portrayed in the film franchise, Transformers, if you, if you, for example, blow off their head, they're done. If you blow a huge hole in their body, so like there's a huge hole in their center mass, they're done. They're portrayed as if you do enough damage to them, eventually they will die. And I do believe Bumblebee's healing factor has to still operate with Bumblebee still alive. So, for example, I don't think you can kill Bumblebee and he will be resurrected magically. Okay. Okay, cool. And then, Ray, for Poison Ivy, how – I don't know if, there's, if this will be a question that's answerable. How quickly is she able to create – like you were saying, for example, like blocking a blast or something like that. How fast does this happen? Is this take a second – Real, real fast. You know, okay. she's been able to expand the growth of these vines. So in the course of seconds, it's overwhelming a building. Okay. So when, it, like I say, the machine gun fire was really the big key for me in that the vines were being shot through and the bullets were being knocked out of the way by them, but they were being chewed through. But she was able to just keep putting them up over and over and over again with that level of speed to block a machine gun. So it, it I was worried coming into this battle when I started my research, it was a slow moving process or yeah. not too fast. It's actually real, real fast. Okay, so so for me at this point, I think I think Poison Ivy has the edge here. It's because of the rules of the game, right? Where it's either ejection from the battlefield, submission, or kill, right? Or Correct. just completely destroyed. Yeah, so I, I think at this current moment, the overwhel- like being overwhelmed by Poison Ivy is something I could see happening if she is able to move that quickly. So that's that's sort of where my head's at at this current moment. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. If you can incapacitate your opponent for two minutes, which means then the the other person can safely walk away with no threat. That's also a, kind of like you're being submitted or you're in submission. So, yeah, yeah, I can see I can see where you're coming from, Adam. I think I got something to kind of help you see my point of view, if you will. But, Ray, this is good because normally we're at a dead heat here. Right. We're mm-hmm. at a tie. But you're slightly ahead. This uh, actually makes me more nervous. <laughs> right? We, we never ever say like, okay, cool, I got momentum. That can be snatched away very easily. No such thing in this no, game. absolutely not. Go ahead and hit us with your point number three. Point number three for Poison Ivy. I want to talk about her toxic touch and her pheromones because one of the really interesting things I learned about Bumblebee is in his standalone Bumblebee film, he is known as the most emotional Transformer in the entire franchise. Most Transformers are sort of bereft of emotional levels. However, Bumblebee has this character, Charlie, played by Haley Steinfeld, that he completely, I don't know if enamored is the right word, but he cares very, very deeply about her, and they form a very, very deep and positive connection. Not just that, in the original movie, Shia LaBeouf and Bumblebee also form kind of a very, very positive connection. Now, because Poison Ivy has pheromones, and pheromones that work on any human in the entire world, as well as aliens. She's been able to figure out on a molecular level how to use her pheromones to make aliens bend to her will and fall in love with her, if that is what she wants. And she can do it from a distance. She does it just by wafting a scent their, their way. She's actually been able to take over the entire world at one point using pheromones 
for a little while. My point in all of this is I was worried that the pheromones, which are another one of her major weapons, psychological weapons, that she uses in order to win her battles without a blow even being struck, would not work on a character like Bumblebee because he's just a fighting robot. However, learning what I learned about the Bumblebee live-action Michael Bay movie, you know, the one James is repping today, is that this is the most emotionally available character, and he's not just a toaster, he's an alien. He is an alien from another planet. Now, Poison Ivy, as I said before, has used her pheromones successfully against aliens. Bumblebee, as an alien, is emotionally possible. Therefore, I absolutely believe she could use her pheromones to calm him down, to make him not want to fight, which either is going to remove him from the battlefield because he won't want to fight, she'll be able to walk away, or will open him up for being torn in two by some vines. But the other really big thing besides that huge point that I just made, really good job, me. Thanks, Ray. Is the corrosive touch. She's got a toxic touch using this sort of plant ingenuity that allows her to melt through objects. She can burn away things that she touches. So in such a case that she gets close enough to Bumblebee, if she's able to hold him, even if it's not for the full two minutes, if she can hold him in place, she can walk up with her own hands and she can touch him and corrode away his outsides, melt and rust and destroy the outer shell of Bumblebee. And especially if she gets in on the eyes or the head or one of the really important parts of that character, she's going to absolutely melt and obliterate him just through touch. Touching a touching poison ivy if you're a person is real, real, real bad. You could die just from the shock of it. It's happened before. She tries not to let that happen, but sometimes she doesn't care. And in a battle sense, she definitely does not care. So her corrosive touch combined with the fact that the pheromones, I believe, would absolutely work on Bumblebee is all she needs to bring this home. And that's my point number three. Let me, let me talk about the corrosive touch first. How long does it take? Because I already know the answer to this. How long do you think it takes for the corrosion to actually take effect? You know, where you know it burns completely through something. That's the thing. She doesn't need to burn completely through him. She just needs to do some massive amounts of damage in some tight areas. You know, I would assume that she would maybe go for the eyes because they're glowing blue. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. That'd be where I go first. But if she hit some joints and some areas of motion, like, like nerve points on a human would be, if she finds some joints on Bumblebee and is able to corrode through them, it won't take as long as you would think so. Although it's not like she just does a karate chop and chops it in two using the toxic touch. She touches it. It burns real bad. And then she kind of works her way through it. Not going to happen. Not going to work. All right. Not that it won't damage Bumblebee, but it's not going to do enough. Not even nowhere near enough. Let's talk about these pheromones. Yeah, I'm not a scientist per se, but don't you need like an airborne delivery system that is then breathed in for a pheromone to work? Well, who knows how these robots work, James? We, the fact we do. They feel emotions at all. <laughs> we, I think if she just, if, if listen, if she gets this thing in the air and it corrodes over his body, it's going to work through osmosis. It's going to just pull into his system because there is a soul. There is a life force in there somewhere. And I see absolutely no reason why it can't get inside of him and make it work. Look, he's got these little holes all over his body. That air can get in there, James, and it can do some damage. No, no, it can't. <laughs> Pheromones don't work on robots or, or beings that don't breathe in air or take uh, in air. Okay, sorry. It's on aliens. He is an alien. <laughs> and one with emotions at that. 
<laughs> okay. He also does have insidey places like humans and aliens. So so that also will not work. Okay. Pheromones will not work. The corrosion kind of touch, corrosive right. touch. I can see something there. Let me get to my point number three. Hopefully this will all bring it together for you, Adam. Cool. I'm just going to call this experience, fighting experience. So here's a question for both of you. How old is Bumblebee? What do you think? Ray, how old is Bumblebee? You know, I mean, probably a 1978 Volkswagen Bug. So about that old. That's right, Ray. He's thousands of years old, at least. At least. That's what's established in uh, the Transformers live action series. And by the way, of those thousands upon thousands of years, how many of those years has he been fighting for the Autobots and fighting in a war, facing everything the Decepticons are throwing at him? Probably the vast majority of that. And by the way, the reason I'm bringing this up is because if there's one area that clearly separates Bumblebee and Poison Ivy, it's in combat and fighting experience. So let's, let me ask you this about Poison Ivy. In terms of actually actual combat, actual fighting, how many years experience does she have? I mean, what, she's maybe mid-30s to early 40s at most, probably late 20s. I don't know. How many years of experience does she have? Probably. She's had a lifetime of experience. She was, she was from 1966 originally and obviously has been redone a few times. So who can say up to that point? But we'll give her a couple decades let's give of her two good decades. fighting experience and, and, and a lifetime of mastering her plan ability. Okay, so let's give her two decades of experience. And she's taken on everyone from Batman to many of the DC heroes and villains, right? Okay, got it. So let's compare that to Bumblebee and what he's had to do, the, pretty much the equivalent, over thousands upon thousands of years, again, fighting for the Autobots in the big Autobot Decepticon war. So he's had to face giant robots who easily match like the strength, the durability, the power levels of some of the upper tier DC characters. Megatron, you know, comparable to a lot of DC characters, is way up there. And these characters are also typically the Decepticons, very durable. And in maybe have energy blast, energy blast powers or some type of destructive capability, like, you know, different weapons, different energy powers, whatever it is. Now, compare that with Bumblebee has to face on a regular basis. You know, ask yourself this. How strong, durable and destructively capable is Megatron or Sentinel Prime or Soundwave or the thousands of other warmongering King Kong sized Decepticons equipped with arsenals of missiles? There's laser cannons. A lot of them have tentacles. I think it was Shockwave almost looked like this huge vine plant like monster in the Transformers live action series. How many of them also move at super speed, have force fields, easily far surpassed, can lift over 100 tons, which is like in Marvel, I guess, called Class 100. And all of them are like the equivalent to like super destructive supervillains or superheroes from the DC universe. What would happen if Poison Ivy had to take on the Decepticons the way Bumblebee has to, right? How would she do? I bet she'd actually be okay for about a minute or so, but without that combat experience to understand how these robots are coming at you, what they're going to come at you with, how fast they're going to come at you, she's not going to last that long. Again, Bumblebee was able to take out four Decepticons within a minute, and by takeout, I mean completely destroy them because he knew how they were going to move. They knew how he, he knew how to position himself the right way. This is someone who's been in combat again, and I'm talking crazy combat, was superpowered being for thousands upon thousands of years. What is Poison Ivy going to throw at him that he hasn't already dealt with or at least dealt with in a much, much bigger way? But let's take this to the ultimate test, okay? There's a benchmark that puts Bumblebee at the top of this list when it comes to fighting ability, and I'm just going to have to say it. Again, I mentioned this before, but he took on Optimus Prime. But he didn't just take on regular Optimus Prime. He took on a bloodlusted 
kind of, you know, not good in the head Optimus Prime, who is bent on just destroying everything he can get his hands on. So during that fight, Transformers may be one of the last ones. He's fighting Optimus Prime. He's taking damage. He's inflicting damage. He actually takes on Optimus Prime to a draw, to a draw, and finally appeals to him and says, you really want to kill me? And all of a sudden, Optimus Prime is like, no, I don't. That's not what I served to funk. Kind of gets back in the, right in the head again and stops fighting whatsoever. He took on Optimus Prime, punch for punch, and it was a draw. Again, how would Poison Ivy do against a bloodlusted Optimus Prime bent on her destruction? The answer is not well, despite her vines, despite her corrosive touch, despite her really highly ineffective pheromones, which wouldn't work whatsoever on Transformers, it wouldn't do anything. In the end, when you take you know his fighting ability, his viciousness, his durability, his healing factor, his weapons, and the fact he's been fighting for thousands upon thousands of years against Decepticons, it's pretty easy to see why Bumblebee wins this fight. That's my point number three. You said some okay things and some really terrible things there, James. So I've got to have to rip you a new one right now because you deserve it. You said, oh, he, he fights. All he's been fighting all these times is just other robots who kind of do the same thing. Lasers, missiles, punches. That's what these that's what these Michael Bay Transformers do. There's none of them creating vines out of the ground all around you that cause shields and throw cars and rip apart buildings. These are not this is not a form of attack that he's going to be comfortable You've uh, just fighting described against. every Transformers movie. No, I've described <laughs> the end effects of what they can do but not how they do it. And he's not going to be able to see vines from below coming and grabbing his legs and pulling him down. He's just not going to see that coming because that is not a threat against anything he's fought in all of the years of his extensive combat. Look, if you fight the same handful of opponents over and over and over again, James, and you'll know this is an MMA guy, you're never going to get better. You got to fight a bunch of different people, you know, like DC characters, like the Batmans, the Superboys, Clayface as mentioned before, all of these other different characters that she's fought that all do vastly different things. It does make a difference. The other thing is you talk about, oh, how would he do against four Decepticons versus her? Well, it's a good thing the battle isn't who would win Poison Ivy versus four Decepticons today, because that's not the battle, James. She's fighting the smallest of all the Transformers. She's fighting, most likely, the weakest physically of all the Transformers, but the one with the biggest heart. And the biggest heart, the one that feels emotions, is the one the pheromones are going to work on, because half the time, she doesn't even need to use the pheromones. She's so good-looking that people just want to help her and do things from her. And the, what was good about Charlie, 18-year-old Charlie from the Transformers movie? She was good-looking. What was the thing about Megan Fox in the original Transformers movie? She was good-looking. Bumblebee wanted to do things for these characters and help them. He's going to not want to hurt Poison Ivy, not just because she's a good-looking person who can influence him, but because she's a human. And he does not want to kill humans because of his deep emotions and deep humanity. And that's all I have to say about anything. So I enjoyed your point number four, Ray, but here's the thing. Um, <laughs> you're saying that Bumblebee is so shallow that he'll he'll protect you if you're a woman and uh, very pretty, Ooh. but he'll ignore everyone. Is that what you're saying about Bumblebee here? And because Poison Ivy happens to be a woman and pretty, he's falling. To, that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, I'll be honest. We have a track record more than once of him doing kind of just that. Yeah, Poison Ivy also has a track record of not always getting people to do what she wants. But, you know, that's fine. All right, Adam, you've heard three points from me. You've heard four points from Ray somehow. <laughs> Go ahead and tell us. Take us through your process and tell us who you think wins this fight. This has been a really actually very intriguing battle here. I do have a question about Bumblebee. Does he 
offensively, besides kind of his size and strength, guns, missiles, what what kind of st- stuff is he? Does he have like a one shot kill anything? Yeah. So his you can clarify. Yeah, absolutely. He's got this uh, laser blaster that his hand and forearm transforms into. So uh-huh. yeah, I think it was kind of modeled after after like the Transformers series from like like two thousand eight, two thousand nine or so, where that character has like their whole form turns into like a mini cannon, and he uses that to one shot a number of Decepticons. That's how he blows off some Decepticons' heads, takes out chunks of their body at a time. So that's the equivalent of that of that kind of one shot. Okay. Okay. What what is actually firing out of that cannon? Do we know? Is it like energy? It's an energy blast. Okay. Energy blast. All right. So here's my thought process here. This is, this is a fun one. So Bumblebee has been fighting for thousands of years. He has been fighting. And I think Ray, you mentioned this similar, even though they're there, they attack him differently. They are fighting a similar kind of style. He's having to combat force fields and different kind of bombs and missiles and, you know, attacks like that. I am wondering if Poison Ivy's attack is different enough that there is a moment where he's not quite sure. I I actually don't think Poison Ivy could kill Bumblebee initially, but where I'm hung up on is submitting. Submitting him, holding him down, pinning him so she can walk away because she does have that distance for, you know, two minutes. Could she do that? Could she overwhelm him? I think, I think Ray, your point three was overwhelmingly weak. <laughs> I th- oh no! <laughs> I think, I think pheromones would actually not be a factor for Bumblebee. I don't think that he would be influenced by that. However, I do think he does have a lot of heart, and it's the same heart that would make him keep fighting if, like, he loses his legs and all that. But I do think it's the same heart that might make him hesitate for a second about killing somebody who at least looks human, you know, human-like. So, man, this is a really tough one. So for me, I think what it comes down to is the strength and the, the ability of Poison Ivy to overwhelm Bumblebee into submission for those two minutes, which is why I think I'm going to have to give the win to Poison Ivy. There we go. Thank you very much. And don't worry. You know, I have final cut on these episodes. So what (laughs) you're actually going to say is, Ray, your third point was the most dynamic, creative (laughs) one I've ever heard in my entire life because I've never been happier with the point number three in a long time. I worked hard for that one. So to hear you, to hear it not land with you breaks my heart, Adam. I'll take the victory, but I feel a little wounded. This is a Pyrrhic victory at best. You know, I got I to gotta tell you, I agree with your logic. I think what would happen is Poison Ivy, Poison Ivy would say, like, this is getting too crazy too quick. I need yeah. to pull in the big guns, wrap this thing up with vines quickly and just overwhelm the heck out of it. I'm at getting distance. out of here. And she gets at out. Distance. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do. I do actually agree with that outcome because I think she would see like this guy, this robot is not stopping and his his uh, compassion is only going to last so long. So I actually right. can totally see your logic. What I really appreciate you as, as a judge is that you understand the rules so well and you're saying, well, if it's just a nonstop kill or be killed battle, that's one thing. But if it's these are the rules, then this is how I could see the submission happening. I do kind of see the logic. 
I have to agree with you. By the way, what I'm really saying is thank you for seeing through Ray's horrible point number three. That was (laughs) the moment you're like. That's a victory. That's that's your victory. victory I need right there. I'm like, pheromones don't work on robots, especially Transformers. Thank you. Guys, I feel good about this. We're going to need to set up a special hashtag. We're going to be voting on this after the show has been out for a while. And the question will be simply one of two choices. Hashtag pheromones wouldn't work or hashtag Ray is right. And you're going to be voting on one of those two things. And I have a feeling hashtag Ray is right is going to dominate, dominate this because I'm not going to lie. I would have just used that for all three points. I felt that strongly about it. So uh, uh, again, I feel, I feel, I feel wounded right now. I feel attacked, but that's okay because I've been able to even out this series. You've secured you've secured the victory, yes. He secured the victory, Oof. but I feel like I got the moral win here. But with that being said, I think the fans won because we got a great judge giving us a great decision. Great job. Absolutely great amazing. Job. Yeah, Adam, Thanks, guys. we, we can't you. say thank you enough. I highly recommend everyone check out everything that Adam MacArthur does, especially Jujutsu Kaizen. By the way, I love Kaizen as a, as a term, for, as a Japanese word. It means never-ending improvement, I believe. And Jujutsu, of course, is just awesome because it's Jujutsu. And then you have Adam MacArthur doing the English dub of the main character. Triple reasons why it's so amazing. So, Adam, appreciate that. Incredible, incredible work. Please tell our fans where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me at NinjaMac, N-I-N-J-A-M-A-C, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you know, whatever. We're doing that thing. But uh, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> at NinjaMac. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tried watching TikTok for a little while. It's entertaining. And then I felt kind of creepy. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you know, whatever. It is what it is. It's okay. It's, uh, Ray likes it. So, Ray, uh, congratulations on another victory. I deserve it. This one was close, and I like how Adam understood the rules and used that in your favor. That was really cool, too. And good use of the word, good use of the word pheromone, by the way. You're, I appreciate that your vocabulary is slowly but surely increasing. This is, uh, I'm not gonna lie. I, I practiced saying that word many, many times before we started to make sure I didn't screw it up. Because that would have been terrible on my dominant, colossally brilliant point number three to mess up the key word in the argument. All right, Ray, well done. Please tell our listeners where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Almighty Ray. You can also check out my other show, Knowing is Half the Podcast, the G.I. Joe Recap Show. We've done plenty of episodes of Transformers. I am well versed in this bumblebee, you say, even if I have only seen the first Transformers movie and read a little bit about the others. At G.I. Joe Podcast on Twitter if you want to check that out. Knowing is half the podcast on your podcast dial. Very cool. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gavsey. Remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and to be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram at Who Would Win Show. And don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcast. Check out the Who Would Win website at www.whowouldwinshow.com to access all of our past podcast episodes. On behalf of myself, Ray Sicanus, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win team, thank you once again for listening to another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. Experience full plates and fuller wallets with every plate, America's best value meal kit. The holidays are upon us. Give yourself and your wallet a break. 
Every plate is 50% cheaper than a meal made from grocery store ingredients, and each recipe couldn't be easier to follow. With every plate, you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week and swap proteins, veggies, and sides to your liking. And all that for the same price as one cup of coffee. It's assuredly cheaper than that pumpkin spice latte. Last week, my family challenged me to make something great for dinner. So, I ordered the amazing hibachi-style steak rice bowls from every plate for my family. Super easy and super quick to prepare, by the way. Now, my entire family thinks I'm an amazing cook, and thanks to every plate, you know what? They're not wrong. Each meal gives you simple step-by-step -step instructions and pre-portioned ingredients to make it fast and easy. Hey, I've said it before. If you can build a bookshelf, you can make a great meal with every plate. And the choices are varied. I've personally made crispy Caesar chicken, pork and poblano tacos, and bibimbap. And all of the above turned out absolutely fantastic. Get started with every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code WWW179. That's just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code WWW179. Try this offer and you'll see firsthand why every plate is America's best value meal kit. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.